Dr. Bill, you've got it. Thank you very much, Pastor. Take your Bibles and join me in turning to 2 Timothy chapter number 4 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, good to see you today. Uh, Yesterday we flew into Detroit, and I'm glad not all of Michigan is like Detroit, aren't you? I like uh, Foss Story, I like it. It reminds me a lot of the area in which I was raised. Uh, just a nice rural area, and uh, just uh, appreciated it very much. I uh, flew in yesterday, and as we uh, started heading this way, things became more and more country, and I liked that. And uh, so I'm glad for the setting where the Lord has placed you. Years ago, I came to Michigan for the first time. It was 1994. And uh, sometimes we Southerners, we have myths about the North. Myths. There's a lot of them that I could share with you, but I won't because I, I won't because I don't want to bring too much embarrassment to Southerners. But uh, one of them is we were told it was always cold up north. But that myth was dispelled in 1994. I'll never forget. I was in Bay City, Michigan. The air conditioning of the van was broken, and it was 101 degrees. And I said, "Whoever's made up that lie ought to be shot." It is not. <laughs> Always cold up north. And, uh, but I'm glad the weather is pleasant today. And I hope that you'll make it a priority to be here this week. We enjoyed the Sunday school hour. I know some of you uh, weren't able to be here. But it was uh, for talking about the subject of revival. Why are we here this week? If I could just make it uh, just in a brief summary. We're here this week because God wants to work in our hearts. God wants to change our lives. Do you understand the magnitude of that? The creator of the universe wants to deal with people like me and you. That's a humbling thing. And when you think there's more than 7 billion people on the face of God's earth, and this morning God has a word for you, and that's through His word, the Bible. And so we trust that the Lord will use it this week. Looking forward to getting to meet many of you. Uh, I would love to compile any stories that you might have about students from this church that are with us so that I can tell them to everybody uh, whenever we get back. And uh, sometimes when I get into a church where we have students, I end up taking more than I came with. Somebody say, oh, can you take this person this or take this person that? And so I tried to pack accordingly to always make room for one more. So if you have something that needs to be sent back, as long as it's not a huge item, I can get it back to them. But I know that they would appreciate your prayers. a joy to have them uh, in our student body this year. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6. The Bible says for... I am now ready to be offered. This is Paul speaking. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. And I'm here this morning to tell each of you that there is something ahead for all of us that's going to last for a really long time. As a matter of fact, time really cannot adequately describe this term, eternity. 
There were times when I was a fifth grader in math class, I thought that that class lasted for an eternity. It couldn't get done quick enough. But ladies and gentlemen, in all actuality, there is a season ahead for all of us. It's called eternity. And every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. And the Apostle Paul alludes to that eternity. I remember reading a story about the passing of a famous evangelist in the late 1800s. His name Dwight Lyman Moody. Moody was led to the Lord by a man named Edward Kimball, who was his Sunday school teacher. He would go on to reach thousands of people with the gospel here in America and also Great Britain. But Moody, he was preaching his last meeting. He fell ill. They took him by train back to his home place in Northfield, Massachusetts. And while Moody was laying in his bed dying, his son was by his bedside. And after waking from a deep sleep, Moody made the statement. He said, earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. Why, if this is death, it is sweet. There's no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. His son by his bedside said, Oh, Dad, you've just been dreaming. And with all the determination that a dying man could muster, Moody said, I've not been dreaming. I've been within the gates. And it was a short time later that Moody would pass into eternity. But before he did, he said, This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. I wish I could tell you that every man and every woman that passed into eternity died that way, but they don't. The truth is, there are many people when they die, it's a miserable passing. It's a miserable existence. Why? Because they never chose to let God be a part of their lives. Because they chose to go their way alone. They chose to do their own thing. And I'm here to tell you that there are many people in the world today that don't die like a D.L. Moody. Why? Because they have either rejected Christ or they've accepted Christ, but they still chose to live their own way and they died with many regrets. I don't know about you, but I'd like to die in the fashion of a D.L. Moody with a peace in my heart, with a joy in knowing that my life is fulfilled. But the only way that you can do that is if you choose to live like one. The Apostle Paul, we find him in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. Why is he imprisoned? It's not for selling drugs, it's for preaching the gospel. And in his dying moments, so to speak, although there would be some time that would be elapsed uh, by the time that this is written before his death, he says, for I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. A man who could look at eternity with confidence, a man who could look into the eyes of eternity with a fulfillment in his life. And do you know God wants you to have the same thing? And so this morning, for the next few moments, I invite you to take a good hard look at eternity, ladies and gentlemen. It may be some time since you've thought about eternity. You've thought about the fact that one day you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're here today. You say, well, I'm just 14 years old. Listen to me. There's been somebody in America today to die younger than you are. It's not too early to think about eternity. And the Apostle Paul gives us the secrets of how we can be ready to meet God. And so I share those with you this morning. Number one, I want you to see Paul's readiness in verse 6. He said, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Here's a man, his life is already being offered up. The next thing for him is the chopping block of Nero. 
And yet while he's staring death in the face, he can say, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. And not to have any fear and not to have regret, but to look at eternity with a prospect of knowing one day soon I'm going to meet God. How does a man do that? Well, one thing that I do challenge you with this morning is you better make sure you're ready to meet God a long time before you may actually pass. Have you ever heard people make this statement? They say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make ready to meet God when the time has come. Here's my question. How do you know when that time's come? I mean, well-meaning people. They say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make ready to meet God when that day comes. Listen, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I can prove to you in Paul's life, he was ready to meet God a while before that day ever came. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, he said, For I am in a strait betwixt two. Now in my southern vernacular, he was saying I'm between a rock and a hard place. He said, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Even in the book of Philippians, Paul knows that he's ready to meet God. In Acts chapter 21 and verse 13, he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What was that man saying? He was saying, I am ready to meet God. And it is of the greatest importance this morning that every individual, listen to me young man, young or old, you better be ready. And know in the depths of your heart that you're ready to meet God. But Paul's life gives us two very clear things about how he was ready. How could he look and see death in the face and be ready to meet God? Why the first thing's very evident, he was saved by the grace of God. Now, when we talk about words salvation, born again, what does that mean? Well, those are Bible words. But when I'm talking about being saved, I'm telling you there was a day where Paul was confronted with his sin and realized his sinfulness and understood that Jesus Christ was the Messiah who died on the cross of Calvary, shed His blood for Paul's sins, and that day Paul trusted Christ and he became a child of God. And that ought to be a day that's true in every person's life in this room, and if not, it can be. Do you remember Paul's salvation experience? Now, when I got saved, I got saved in my bedroom around the age of 12. I took out a gospel tract from the Turner's Creek Baptist Church. I read what the Bible had to say about salvation. You say, what did it have to say? Well, it gave me some bad news. It told me some bad news like this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, you say that is some bad news. We like good news, but if you're going to understand the good news, you better understand the bad news. There are preachers today in society that will tell you that there's a spark of goodness within all of us and all of us are the children of God. That sounds all warm and fuzzy, but in the end, it's a lie. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My mom didn't have to sit me down and teach me how to lie. Why? Because I was born a sinner. came natural. And after learning about that, I had to learn this, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I had to learn that even in my sinful state, God gave His Son Jesus to pay the price for my sin. Now here's the marvel of that. 
The marvel is, is that God gives His Son Jesus to die for a sinful world that's not looking for His Son. That's not seeking God. That's not seeking forgiveness and God gives Him anyway. And then I learned in order to accept that gift that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And that day as a 12-year-old boy, I trusted Christ for the Apostle Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. Some people say, well, I don't think God could save somebody like me. Listen to me. If God could save Paul, you can mark it down. He can save you. You say, why is that? Because I'm going to tell you why. Before Paul got saved, he was responsible for the imprisonment of Christians and even their deaths. He hated Jesus. He believed Him to be an imposter. But that day on the road to Damascus, when Jesus Christ said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why kickest thou against the pricks? Why Paul, he, Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes Paul, he answers and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And from that day on, his life has changed. Why? It's because of what he did with Jesus. And after the fact, Paul would stand before royalty. He would stand before leaders. And when he'd give testimony of his salvation, he stood before a man by the name of Felix, who was a ruler. And the Bible says that he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And when it was done, Felix said, You know what? Just come another day. And I'll talk with you. Another time, Paul stands before a man by the name of Agrippa. Agrippa is a ruler of the day. He tells Agrippa of his testimony of salvation. And Agrippa says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now some Bible scholars argue as to how Agrippa said that. And the truth is, I can't tell you for sure. You say, what do you mean? Some people believe that Agrippa said that with earnestness. Almost, boy, Paul, almost. Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. There are other people that would tell you that Agrippa said it was sarcasm. And sometimes there's sarcasm in our churches. And a man that Agrippa, like Agrippa said, Almost, 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 thou persuadest me to be a Christian. But I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Whether he said it out of sincerity or sarcasm, listen to me, if he died without Christ, he's in hell tonight. I'm talking about some of you, listen, all of your life, you've heard the gospel and you've grown hardened to it and you've become sarcastic. Listen to me. You'll die and go to the same eternity as the God-hater if you don't accept Jesus this morning. And my friend, you may be here and it may be that you're on the cusp of eternal life. God's been dealing in your heart, but you've been putting Him off. Listen to me. Today is the day. Don't you make the same mistake as Agrippa did. But Paul had a very clear testimony of salvation. I'm going to tell you something. You can't be ready for eternity without a clear testimony of salvation. I don't know how it is in Michigan, but I know how it is down south. Sometimes we'll go visiting, inviting people to church, knocking door to door. And sometimes you'll go up to a person and you'll say, Listen, hey, we're glad to be here today and we want to invite you to church. But even more importantly than that, I'm more concerned about a person knowing for sure that Christ is their Savior. And you'd ask the question, you'd say, Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And the guy would look at me and say, Well, that's a personal question. Or he'd say, You know, uh, I just don't want to talk about that. Why do people respond that way? You know what? You've got a lot of sense in that statement. 
I'll tell you why they respond that way. There's one of two reasons why they respond that way. One reason they respond that way is maybe that event has never taken place in their lives and they don't want to talk about it. Or it has, but they're ashamed of it. Now, I want to be fair with you this morning. If I ask you the question, do you have a clear testimony of salvation? Could you say without a doubt, listen, I'm going to heaven and this is why. And would you be willing to tell me about it? Now, if you're not willing, there's one of two reasons why. It's either neither ta- it's never taken place or you're ashamed of it. Now, you think about this. After the service, my wife, Michelle, we've been married for be 23 years this August. If my wife, Michelle, were here and we were standing back in the lobby and I'm standing beside my wife and you say, Now, now uh, Brother Bill, I want you to tell me about the day that you and your wife got married. And I looked at you and said, That's a private matter. I don't want to talk about it. Or I looked at you and said, You know, I just, I just don't want to talk about that. You know what? Now, you Baptists, you'd get out in the car and you'd have a conversation with your wife after the service and you'd say, There's something bad wrong. Oh, I'm not, I don't think you'd get out there and say, let's bow in prayer in the car right now. No, you'd open the door, you'd sit in there, and your, your wife would say, Honey, did you hear that? Something is not right. And you know what? You're exactly right. My friend, if you're here this morning and you'd say, I can't give a clear testimony of salvation, or you say, I don't want to talk about it, all I'm saying, something's not right, and you better settle that before you leave this place. Or you'll never be able to look into the eyes of eternity and say, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul wasn't just ready to meet the Lord, though, because of just salvation. I want to tell you, he was ready to meet the Lord because he was surrendered. I'm going to tell you something. Salvation's more than fire insurance. My friend, I want you to know that when you get saved, that's not where life ends, that's where it begins. And you know how you experience the fullness of the Christian life? It's not by sitting in a pew and laughing while the preacher's preaching and being disinterested. Do you know how you experience the fullness in the Christian life? It's not by being bored with the things of God. I'll tell you how. It's by being totally yielded to Him. Paul said that he was a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Paul said that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen to me, you can't be ready to meet God as a Christian as long as you're knee deep in the world. Paul didn't say for to me to live is to make money. He didn't say for to me to live is to be popular. He didn't say for to me to live is to be in everybody's good graces. He said for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I'm afraid a lot of times we sing, This world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. But the truth is, we're entrenched in it a lot more than we ought to be. What am I saying? I'm saying this. If you're a Christian here this morning and you want to be ready to meet God, it's not just good enough to be saved. You've got to have a surrendered heart. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm going to tell you, there's people today, they're saved by the grace of God. I don't doubt that. But I'll tell you what, they're unsurrendered. And every time they come to church, there's a battle in their heart. Listen to me, you're not ready to meet Him until you've surrendered. 
Paul, how can we be ready to meet God? Well, it was a day of readiness. You see Paul's readiness, but you also see Paul's report. Notice with me verse number 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You know, we preachers, we get accustomed with graveyards. Not that we're morbid people, but you have to preach funerals. Often we walk through graveyards as we go into the particular tent where the funeral is being held. And you see these things on tombstones are called epitaphs. You ever paid attention to those? You ever read those before? I do. I'll read those, you know, and go through a loving father, a caring mother. But you never see wife beater, murderer. Nobody wants to be remembered that way, right? Well, if Paul could be remembered and we could etch something on his tombstone, I very well think it could be verse 7. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. How do you fight a good fight? I'm going to tell you, you don't fight a good fight for the Lord by being entrenched in the world. We can't be entangled with the affairs of this life. I'm talking to some. You'd say, preacher, I'm saved, that's good enough. Listen, I'm glad you're saved, and yes, you have eternal life, but don't you want to finish strong? Are you fighting a good fight this morning? Or has the world got its tentacles into you and it's just pulled you so? He said, I have finished my course. You know there's coming a day you're going to cross the finish line and how you live is going to determine how you cross the finish line. You say, what do you mean? You can either cross the finish line with regret or you can cross it with joy. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Here it is so that I might finish my course with joy. To die with a smile on your face. To die with a peace in your heart. You know how you do that, Christian? It's not just merely being saved, but it's having a life that says, I don't count my life dear unto myself. Why? That I might finish my course with joy. And I have kept the faith. He said, I was faithful. I was faithful. But I really want you to see the last thing. Paul's readiness, Paul's report. But the last thing I want you to see is Paul's reward. Now I want to explain something to you that to me I did not know until I came to college. I'd never heard a message preached on this. But did you know that there's coming a day in which every Christian will be rewarded for the things done in his body, whether it be good or bad? I'd never heard that before. I'll never forget the first message I heard was preached out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You say, well, where do you get that? Notice with me verse number 8. I want you to see what Paul said. He said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love is appearing. Now, for the next few minutes, I want to remind every Christian in this room of a Bible fact. And that Bible fact is that every Christian will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ after death. You say, when exactly? I don't know. I just know this, that one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, how do you know that? Romans 14.10. 
The Bible says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Speaking of Christians, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What does that mean? Look this way and I'll tell you what it means. It means that every teenager in this room that's been saved by the grace of God, every senior citizen who's been saved by the grace of God, no matter your age group, no matter your standing, preachers included, we will all stand before that judgment seat. Now, Paul says that he's going to receive a crown of righteousness at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. So now the next question is, is what happens at that judgment seat? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, not only does it say, for we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but it says that we may receive the things done in His body, or that he, one, everyone may receive the things done in His body, according to that He hath done. Now here it is, whether it be good or bad. Now I want to make something very clear. I don't think that our sins were judged at the judgment seat. I think our sins were judged at Calvary. It was all laid on Jesus. But it bothers me when some preachers take the edge off the judgment seat of Christ. Because I'm telling you, this verse says there's good and bad that comes from it. Now I'm going to tell you what's judged at the judgment seat. It's not my sin, but it is my work. My works are judged. I think the Bible is very clear about that, and I don't want to take the edge off of that. The things done in our body, the work, the labor that we've done, it's good or it's bad, and it's going to be judged. It's going to be revealed. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what does the Bible tell me? I believe the Bible teaches me this. Everything that I do in the Christian life, whether it be good or bad, is lumped into one of two categories. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. Listen to me. Whenever you sing in the choir and you've got a good motive, that's, wood, that's gold, silver, and precious stone. Ladies, every time you work in the nursery with a good attitude, that's gold, silver, and precious stone. You know, we preachers owe a great debt of gratitude to the ladies that work in the nursery. Because I'm telling you, there's no way I can compete with a six-month-old that just looks smiley and dreamily all over the... or, or cries to the top of its lungs. And you know what? Listen, when you're in that nursery and you feel like the devil has pinched every last one of those kids and your nerves have been shot, and you go out to the car, and you say, you know what, that was aggravating, but I did it because I love the Lord. You know that's gold, silver, and precious stone. But I'll tell you what, you can sing in this choir and be as proud as a peacock and want the world to hear your talent, and that's wood, hay, and stubble. Because I'm going to tell you, God not only sees what we do, He knows why we do it. So listen to me, when you live a life that's filled with self and you're like, I'm just going to tip my hat to God, but I'm not going to go all in and you invest in all the things of this world, listen to me, that's wood, hay, and stubble. 
Right now, you say, well, I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor. I'm enjoying the liberties that I have. One of these days, when you see all those works go up in wood, hay, and stubble, you'll wish that you had done more. Christian, we've got to take a good long look at eternity because one day crowns are going to be given and it's going to be predicated on whether or not we've obeyed Him here with the right actions and the right motive. And you know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid there's some of us in this room right now, we're living for ourselves. We put up a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. And this morning God throws down the gauntlet and says, Listen! Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Christian, listen to me. You better take a long look at eternity because at the judgment seat we will have wished that we had given Him more. Notice in verse number 8 it says, which the Lord the righteous judge, the perfect Judge, through the years as I've kept up with sports, they've introduced instant replay. Why? Because the guys on the field don't always get it right. And isn't it amazing, even with instant replay, they can still blow calls? (laughs) I mean, I'm an unpaid commentator. I just sit on the couch and I can tell them they got that wrong. But God never misses it. You know, I've talked to people before and they say, well, you don't know my heart, preacher. And I think to myself, you're right, but it ought to scare you to death. There's somebody with perfect vision who does. God knows my motive. He knows whether I'm serious about God or whether I'm playing games. He knows whether I'm bored in this service right now wishing it would be over with or whether I was plugged in. He knows he's the perfect judge. And he's going to give this crown of righteousness. This crown of righteousness goes to a specific group of people, them that love his appearing. I'm going to make a statement that may startle you, but do you know that just because you're a Christian, that doesn't mean you love his appearing? You say, well, that ought not be the case. All of God's children ought to love His appearing. And I would say to you, you're right, that ought to be the case, but it's not. You see, when we're too engrossed in the world, we're not looking for His appearing. We're just looking for the next dollar. We're just looking for the next opportunity to advance our own agenda. You know, I remember when I was a kid... Uh, I was raised in a, I was not raised in a Christian home, and my dad, in spite of a lot of his shortcomings, he was an alcoholic. Uh, there were several things that he did teach me that were of great value, and one of the things he taught me was, son, always clean your plate. And he taught me that because in the Beal household, listen, uh, we went to the grocery store once a month, mom bought everything she needed for the month, and it had to last. I'll tell you, there was a few last days of the month where it was pretty lean, you know. It was like, wow, I should have, we should have been a little more wise at the beginning of the month. But my dad, he taught me, he said, son, always clean your plate. And I remember one day I was in the kitchen. I don't remember what I was eating, but I do remember this. I did not like it. And this time my dad has been ill for several months. He's laying in a bed that's in the living room. He would hardly get out of bed. I was sitting in the kitchen, and I said, I can't eat this. I'm going to throw it away. 
And so I grabbed my plate and I walked by the garbage can and I walked over to the sink. You say, why would you do that? I knew if I threw it in the garbage can, I'd get caught. But if I could rake it down the sink drain, nobody would ever know. And so I'm standing there at the sink and I'm beginning to rake that food down into the sink drain. And my dad, who's laying in the bed, he's an ill man. My dad, he said, boy, what are you doing? And, and listen, teenager, I did the same thing you do and it's, it's dumb. Just lie. I said, well, I'm just putting my, my dish in the sink. You're like, well, you really weren't lying. You were doing that. And teenager, you know what I was doing because you've been prone to do it yourself. My dad knew what was going on. He had that sixth sense. The parents know it. They can tell. They can see, you know, we're sitting there telling the story and it's like, whoo, whoo. I mean, the alarm's going off. They know it. I watched my dad. He sat up in that bed and in his weakened state, he stood to his feet and he made his way towards the kitchen. And as he slowly came to me, the quicker I raked. I mean, I was trying to get it down. But just as sure as I'm looking at you, I can still remember seeing my dad. He stood, looked over my shoulder and he saw what I was doing. Now let me ask you a question. Did I love my dad? You better believe I loved my dad. In spite of his imperfections, he taught me much, for which I'll always be grateful. But I'll tell you one thing, I didn't love his appearing. Do you understand the difference? Ladies and gentlemen, there are Christians in this room right now, listen to me, you won't be a candidate for the crown of righteousness. You know why? Because you love, you don't love his appearing. Right now you're living in such a fashion in which you think you're having, you're living it up, but all along your your heart, you're, you have saddened the heart of God. And you're willing to go out and say, I love the Lord, but you won't love His appearing. Why? Because you're not living. You're not where you need to be. Your heart is far and cold. And so I'm just here to tell you this morning that if you want to be ready to meet Him, My friend, you don't just need to be saved. You need to be living for God. And then when that day comes, you too can say, For I am now ready to be offered. For the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only but unto all them also that love His appearing. Take a good hard look at eternity and let it change your life this morning. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In the series of meetings this week, I want to ask you questions as we conclude each service. And I do that because I believe that God's at work in these areas that I'm asking about. And it's important for you to be yielded to God. Now my ultimate goal is for all of us to be ready to meet the Lord, but for that to happen, we've got to let God have His way. And so I begin by asking this question. How many of you in this room would say this? You'd say, Alton, in my life there's been a time where I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I have a clear testimony of salvation. 
If you ask me after the service, you said, Alton, tell me when you got saved. Now, you may not be able to tell me a calendar day or you may not be able to tell me a time of day, but you'd say, Alton, there was a time in my life when I trusted Christ and as I sit here this morning, I have a clear testimony of salvation. I'm ready to meet the Lord when it comes to salvation. If you can say that, would you slip your hand up and keep it up just a moment? Now, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I don't want anybody looking around. All right, thank you. You may put your hands down. Perhaps my greatest burden this morning is to know that there's some people in this room that are perhaps uncertain about their eternity. You may be young this morning, but you're not invincible. You may be here this morning and you've had a lot of hard knocks in life and you're not ready to meet the Lord in salvation and this day is another day of God's mercy for you. Don't run away from it. I wonder how many here today, you'd say, Alton, I'm here this morning and I'm either not sure or I know that I'm not saved. I do not have a clear testimony of salvation. And God's dealing in my heart about eternity this morning. I want to be ready to meet God. In order for that to happen, I need to have a clear testimony of salvation. And you'd say, Alton, would you pray for me this morning? God is dealing in my heart about being ready to meet Him in this matter of salvation. You'd say, Alton, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up just quietly right where you're at, long enough for me to see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. Anybody like that? All right. I wonder how many here you'd say this. You'd say, Brother Bill, I know I'm saved. But as you talked about the judgment seat this morning and you talked about standing before the Lord, I'm not ready for His appearing. Christian, you know there's some things in your life that are not right. You know that you're not pleasing the Lord in certain areas. You know your heart's not where it needs to be. God's call to you is to lay up treasure in heaven. And this morning, you need to make that step in your life. This morning, you need to turn from some things in your life and you need to follow God. How many here, you'd say, Brother Bill, I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. But I also know that I don't love His appearing. There's some things in my life that need to be made right this morning for me to love His appearing. And as I look in eternity and I look at the judgment seat of Christ, I realize that as a Christian, there's some things that I need to get right with the Lord this morning. You'd say, Brother Bill, would you pray for me as a Christian? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Thank you. Number in this room, you may put them down. In a moment, we're going to stand together and our pianist will play a song of invitation. And as I would invite you in every service this week, listen, while the Lord is speaking to your heart, that's the time to respond. Seek the Lord while He may be found. I invite you to come. I invite you to let God have His way and have a yielded heart. If you would, join me in standing. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you join me in standing? Father.